How great is our God? How great is our God? I see what God's up to amongst you, and it excites me. I'm going to start there. I see what God's doing amongst this particular people. And I'm excited about what he can do as we proclaim his greatness. Amen? Amen. Who's up for the Bible this morning? Notice a few hands not raised. That's okay. (laughs) Who's up for the end of Dennis? If your name is Dennis, I'm not meaning this is not a personal... (laughs) (laughs) I'm talking about the storms we've been having. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. The end of Dennis. Yeah. Phew. Uh, <clears throat> we lost a tree this week. I mean, there's people who've lost a lot more, so let's just keep perspective. But I, I, I enjoyed that tree. I nearly killed myself putting some Christmas lights on it. And I hid them enough so I don't have to take them down during the year. I can just turn them back on at Christmas. Unfortunately, I had to chop the whole thing down. So I was disappointed and yet happy to hold a chainsaw. I just feel a little bit more me this week. <laughs> Maybe that's why I'm the amazing David, because I held a chainsaw. I'm sure, Chris, they should use chainsaws in Sozo. Maybe that would be a good I think I'm missing a trick there. Can you just hold this instead? Get on with it, David, <laughs> said the Lord. <laughs> uh, I hope you've not been too affected. Uh, well, I, um, I was driving down the N5 uh, yesterday. And I was reminded of a similar journey that I'd taken, towing a caravan um, uh, up to New Wine uh, a couple of years ago. And uh, I think just as I... I, I'd just finished an overtaking maneuver, which I probably won't ever do again, towing. Um, And I was just pulling in left, probably just at the right, at the moment that I left the covering of the tree line. Uh, So my theory is it was a little bit of left turn as I changed lanes, a little bit of wind blowing, but all of a sudden, I was aware of a weight behind me that I didn't feel comfortable with. Uh, and, it, and this caravan started to move in a way I wasn't telling it to move. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and started to wobble. And I was like, ooh, this is, this is not good. I had my father-in-law in the um, seat next to me. Uh, and he was much more adept at uh, caravans than I was. So he was shouting different things at different points. Very calmly, of course. Very calmly. Um, break faster. And it, was, it, it got pretty dramatic. At what point, one point, somehow, and let's give God credit on this one, somehow it managed to right itself after what seemed like, I'm going to say 20 minutes. <laughs> it was probably only a matter of 20 seconds, but it was scary stuff. I've, I finally managed to get out of the situation enough and, and was driving half on, the, um, half on the hard shoulder, half on the motorway, and I just checked my rear view mirror, and most of the M5 had slowed almost to a halt waiting to... <laughs> behind going, okay, we're just going to let this guy bail and then we'll go around on the hard shoulder. It was pretty grim. Uh, If you're joining us for the first time today, uh, we are currently in the story of Ezra, looking to God to teach us as we observe his people from thousands of years ago, struggling with the weight of all that's behind them, really struggling with the weight of all that's behind them. This people who've lost the the place where they found their identity, the, the, the presence of God, the place where the presence of God was was known to them. Um, They'd lost Jerusalem, they'd been in Babylon, they'd come back, and it's messy. Like a wobbling caravan pulling behind them, the fall of their spiritual homeland, Jerusalem, and subsequent captivity in a foreign land threatened to derail any momentum that they might gain moving forward and moving forward. I wonder if there's something of that in your story. Maybe you've got some history. Maybe we as a church have got some history 
and we're struggling to get some momentum back and we're way behind by what we're carrying. I feel like God wants to release us from that this morning. Who's up for that? So Lord, do your work. Uh, so, uh, yeah, we're going we're gonna to be reading from um, Ezra chapter, chapter 9, and we're going to end up in Ephesians 4. Right. So it's going to be... It's going to be a long one. <laughs> oh, dear. We'll get there. But, but Israel's in a mess, and we're picking up this story, and they've come back, and they've now been in, they've now been in Jerusalem for a couple of generations. Uh, and they're not having a great time of it. Let's read from chapter 9 and see if we might find some encouragement for our own desire to move on and gain momentum f- for the journey ahead. Its title is United in Grace. What does it mean for us to be united in grace? In fact, we'll have, I'll read it from the screen. Thank you, Andrew. Ezra 9. After these things had been done, the leaders came to me and said, this is came to Ezra, the people of Israel, including the priests and the Levites, have not kept themselves separate from the neighboring peoples with their detestable practices, like those of the Canaanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Jebusites, Ammonites, Moabites, Egyptians, and Amorites. I practiced that 15 times this morning. <laughs> I didn't really. Uh, they have taken some of their daughters as wives for themselves and their sons and have mingled the holy race with the peoples around them. And the leaders and officials have led the way in this unfaithfulness. When I heard this, this is Ezra talking, I tore my tunic and cloak, pulled hair from my head and beard, and sat down appalled. Then everyone who trembled at the words of the God of Israel, wouldn't that be a great way to describe us? Those that trembled at God's word. I'd love that. Gathered around me because of this unfaithfulness of the exiles. And I sat there appalled until the evening sacrifice. I've got images of my four-year-old son just slumped when he's really cross or grumpy about something, just sat completely appalled. Then at the evening sacrifice, I rose from my self-abasement with my tunic and cloak torn and fell on my knees. It wasn't a strong start there. Uh, With my hands spread out to the Lord my God and, and prayed, I am too ashamed and disgraced, my God, to lift up my face to you because our sins are higher than our heads and our guilt has reached to the heavens. From the days of our ancestors until now, our guilt has been great. Because of our sins, we and our kings and our priests have been subject to the sword and captivities, talking about Babylon and other nations, to pillage and humiliation at the hand of foreign kings, as it is today. But now, everyone say, but now. But now. For a brief moment, the Lord our God has been gracious in leaving us a remnant and giving us a firm place in his sanctuary. And so our God gives light to our eyes and a little relief in our bondage. Though we are slaves, our God has not forsaken us in our bondage. He has shown us kindness in the sight of the kings of Persia. He has granted us new life to rebuild the house of our God and repair its ruins. And he has given us a wall of protection in Judah and Jerusalem. That's great. Thank you. So I hope you've got the gist of this passage. The people who messed up and that had to leave Jerusalem, who were complicit in its destructions, have by the grace of God been returned to their homeland and still haven't learned their lessons. If, if you will do as I say, if you will stick to my ways, you can live in this really good land. You can enjoy 
life and life to the full if you can just stick and obey me. And yet they don't and they go off again and they're still living in compromise. Now in this instance it's intermarriage and I I don't want to labor this point because it's not the main point today but I don't want to brush over it either. This is not a, a matter of God being racist or having a problem with people from different nations marrying. It's to do with cultural compromise. Cultural compromise. If we miss this, we might let ourselves off the hook too easily. This is about distractions versus distinctiveness. We are called to be a distinctive people, a holy people. All the way through the story of the Bible, that's what God's called us. I'm going to display my glory through you. I want you to be distinctive. And yet, how many of us here this morning realize that we have become distracted? We've been distracted by compromise because of the culture that we're in. All along, Israel was chosen to be different, to be set apart. But God knew that if they, be, they began to be in committed relationships with people from other nations, they would compromise their faith and begin to find all sorts of reasons to justify a life where a faithful distinctiveness loses its edge to an apathetic tolerance. Now, we might think we're on good ground because we haven't married a Buddhist, but we're missing the point as we allow our children to spend more and more time consuming content that has very little kingdom substance in it and yet we're not gathering around the Bible with them. There's compromise in that. I've got to challenge myself about that. We miss the point as we stretch ourselves to afford a lifestyle ordained by a glossy magazine rather than a godly manuscript. Now God is not opposed to wealth. It's not an issue of wealth, it's an issue of worth. It's whether we're putting our worth in him or in the things that we might acquire. We, want, we are called to be distinctive. And I think we've become distracted in our call to represent God to the nation around us. It's what's exciting about being involved in not on our turf. We're being distinctive. We're saying we, 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 want, we want to live differently. This is, this is not on. We were not saved to be similar. So, pause on that one. That, that when, we're not talking that the important thing as we, as we apply this word for us now is not about intermarriage or who we're marrying, all that kind of stuff. It's about a cultural compromise. And so uh, we're going to look back to verse 8 uh, in the passage we've just read. Thank you, Andrew. And, and uh, it, this phrase, but now for a brief moment, the Lord our God has been gracious in leaving us a remnant. No matter how much you've messed up, how much you've, tried and tried again to do life the right way. God is gracious. God gives us another opportunity, more opportunities to walk in all that he has called us to. And with this particular people, he leaves a remnant in this place, Jerusalem. He says, I haven't given up. There's something grace about this. Now, I just want to clarify what grace is. Grace is unmerited favor. It's something we don't Deserve. We often get it confused with mercy, which is more about not getting what we do deserve, the kind of punishment for our sin. But grace is about getting what we don't deserve. Often we can get this confused because we think, well, salvation is a gift. We're saved by faith, believing in God. Well, yes, that is true. But we're encouraged to work out our salvation. How many of you, when you received as a younger child, or maybe just this last Christmas, a box full of Lego just thought, oh great, I've got this gift now. 
got it, it, it's, it's not full unless you start to get it out and get the instruction book and start to live it out. And so many of us are, are thinking, well, I've, I've received God's grace because you've got a box of Lego there. I'm like, well, I'm going to heaven, I'm sorted. <clears throat> Actually, there's a, a, a quote from Willard that will, uh, Dallas Willard that's going to come up that I find really helpful. Grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. It's not about earning our salvation. We, we, we can't do that. But we can, we can become who we've been paid to be through the cross. We can become more of that. So we're talking about grace, and this remnant is a powerful sign of it, that there is another chance, a new start. But actually, for Israel's people, for, for the people who'd moved back to uh, Jerusalem, uh, they needed more than just the physical location. They needed more than just being put back in a place. As God begins to speak again about restoration through the prophet Jeremiah, he speaks of restoration of the temple, but he actually points to a greater hope. He points to a greater hope. He knows that it's one thing to take the people who have been in exile back to Jerusalem, but they might still struggle with their selfishness and pride and wanting to do things their way. Just because they have a temple again doesn't mean it's all going to go well. And Jesus actually, God knows that what they really needed was a savior. This is, um, we're just gonna read a, a little bit from Jeremiah. We are making our way through to Ephesians, don't worry. The days are coming, this is, this is the prophet Jeremiah bef- uh, speaking in the time of the exile. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. They might have been thinking about the land, Jerusalem. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called, the Lord our righteous Savior. The Lord our righteous Savior. Before they even come back from exile, he's talking about someone who is going to rescue them, not from a physical exile, but from a spiritual one. Where no longer are we talking about a law written on tablets of stone, but a law written on our hearts. Now for us, for the people of faith this morning in here, we believe that Jesus is the Lord our righteousness. He's the Lord our righteousness. So he's taken the remnant of our souls and he said, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to make you into a great people for the display of my splendor. And that's the grace. That's the grace in this. We're not just talking about rebuilding this Jerusalem here, but actually, because of what Jesus did on the cross, we can expect the powerful working of God through the person sat right next to you. How outrageous is that? Have a look at them if you want. So we're gonna be talking about how grace is at work amongst us, how we can be united in grace. Uh, And many of you know, uh, having looked at the person next to you, that actually living alongside someone, you get to see some parts of people that aren't that straightforward. And, <laughs> and, and don't seem to be a display of the glory of the Lord. Many of you know I work with Andrew. And that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> that's all I'm saying. And he works with me. Isn't that crazy? 
but we're in relationship with each other. When we're talking about this, this will be hard if, you, if you're thinking this morning around uh, an hour and a half on a Sunday morning. I'm not thinking about that. That in some ways could be, that, that's kind of an event. I'm talking about life on life, church, Christians together. I'm talking about what grace looks like in that environment. So with your life group, I would encourage you to be in a life group because you've got relationship there and you can start to not just see the unstraightforward bits, but actually get God's perspective on the people around you so they actually can expect the power of God at work in the people that you're doing life with, that you're in close proximity with. Um, I uh, spoke probably three years ago about um, flesh giving birth to flesh and the spirit giving birth to the spirit. It was the, it was the last sermon before Andrew joined us. And I encourage us to make sure that we've got God's perspective on Andrew and his family as they came. Make sure that we have an idea of what God thinks of them rather than just looking at what we see in the flesh, rather than, rather than just walking. It's so easy for us to get stuck in what we see around the people that, we, that we're with day to day. Maybe it's your brother or sister, maybe it's someone that you live with at home. You can see one perspective and God, by his grace, wants to release because of the cross, more of heaven in the person sat next to you or the person that you're hanging out with week in, week out at Life Group. Just going to look at Mark 6 uh, so that you can see how, uh, how this uh, doesn't work in some ways. Jesus, Son of God, all-powerful, limited. I often speak from this passage. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things? They asked. Refer to him as a man. What's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he's performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. He cannot do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. He's amazed at their lack of faith. He says Jesus wasn't able to do as much as he wanted to do because they knew him as a boy, the son of, a, of Mary from a poor family, and they didn't expect much. I wonder, I wonder if some kid from some poor family came in this morning, whether we would expect the power of God to be at work through them. I wonder whether you know the people around you more as carpenters rather than as Christ-like. It's a real challenge, isn't it, that, that God was limited by what he could do. I, I would love for there to be limitless grace within our body today. How cool would that be if rather than just having our perspective of each other as Oh, isn't that Jamie, the guy that works at the armory? With the funny haircut, whatever, whatever we might say, something. <laughs> something, just the physical attributes. <laughs> well, what, what, if we've got, what if we've spent some time and, and, and prayed and asked, God, how do you see Jamie? What can I begin to speak over Jamie in my interactions? Some of you will know I save... People, people's names in my phone as, in this instance, Jamie Songwriter. There's some songs to come out of Jamie 
that we, we haven't heard yet, but they're going to come out of him. Jamie, you're a songwriter. I declare that in Jesus' name. There's going to be songs coming out of you. We're speaking to the treasure. This is what happens. This is the grace of God that we can access the king of kings and the creator of the person sat next to you and say, how do you see this? This works great in conflict, in marriages, in situations with your boss. It doesn't have to be a Christian. God, what's your perspective on this person who is really doing my nut in? Because the enemy would love to loud hailer all the bad stuff about the person that you're struggling with. He would love to loud hailer it and just go, this guy's an absolute nuisance. In the staff room, loads of people will be on the same way. Yeah, I think he's a nuisance as well. Yeah, he really annoys me. Absolute idiot. And yet, there's the still, small voice of God saying, there's grace for this people. There's the power of God. There's an open heaven. You don't have to have hell's agenda. We can have heaven's agenda because of the grace of God. Powerful working. And the grace of God is not just about covering up some mess. It's about releasing some ministry and some mission stuff. It's exciting. It's not just about saying, oh, well, they got it wrong. It's okay. I'll just, we'll just cover over that a little bit. It's not, just, it's not about just dealing with sin or mess or our brokenness. It's about releasing people into who God's made them to be. Are we united in grace? Are we united in grace? There's a song by David Crowder that's uh, titled Forgiven, and I love these words from it. It says, I should have been six feet under. I could have been lost forever. Yet I should be in that fire, but now there's a fire inside of me. That's true for every single person in this room. The grace of God is not just that we aren't dead, but that there's fire inside of us. That there is a fire of, of God inside of us. Right. Give me 30 seconds while you talk to the person next to you to figure out what I'm going to say next and to consolidate what I've said so far. Ten seconds. Five, four, three, two, one. Great. I've thought of something to say. Um, uh, uh, just to just to clarify some of what we're saying. Uh, I've I can never remember whether it's an acronym or an anagram. It's not an anagram. Can we have that slide up just to make sense of my? God releasing accredited Christians everywhere. 
Now, accredited, I wasn't so sure about the word. It's the authority of God on someone's life. And it's God's releasing, and it's in all sorts of different ways, but God releasing accredited Christians everywhere. Now, the problem is, next slide, so often we're, trying to put, we're waiting for our seal of approval on someone rather than God's, and waiting to see, as, I don't know if I would approve of, of that person doing that particular thing. Well, do you know of God's approval? What is, have we got God's approval on people, or are we, just, are we missing out on, on the grace? Are we missing out on all of us being released in power in different ways? Right, I said we'd get there. Let's, let's do Ephesians 4. We will be finished by 3 o'clock for those who love rugby. I'm telling you. This is good stuff for a, a, a people wanting to walk and release and be empowered together. Verse 1 from chapter 4. It's not on the screens. As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Okay, straight again, live the life. You've been called, you've been received, the price has been paid. I'm urging you to live a life. It's a doing word, live a life. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Again, it's me and Andrew in the office, all over it. You know what I mean? <laughs> bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Every effort. These are not small, simple words that we can run over. Every effort. Make every effort to keep unity. Some of you guys have got some caravan history with people in this room. You you had some wobbly moments. I don't know if we're making every effort to make sure. Hey, are we good? Hey, look, I saw some, there was some flesh giving birth to flesh back then. I I, I just want to, can I pray for you and bless you in the spirit? It will be awkward. It will be. Grace is awkward. Should, can you write that down for it? Grace is awkward. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord. How many ones in this? One faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Thank you, Lord. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. Beautiful. He's taken us from being captive to the gifted ones. Amen? Amen. It's better than that. Amen? Amen. Yes. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love. (laughs) We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. 
From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Isn't that a lovely picture of the body of Christ at work to be unified? So many ones in there, so much of what God can do in, amongst the people. We've been given the grace. We've been given God's grace. We all have different contributions within our family, different ways within your life groups. God is calling us to be people. There's so much more in that that we could go into, but I'm keen that we, that we get to pray. As if you read further on in Ezra, you, you get to chapter 10. Uh, there's some comedy in there because they're all grumpy because it's raining. Not only have they been called out on the fact that they married the, the wrong people, but it's also raining, so they're seriously grumpy. <clears throat> I think they must have been southerners, not these northerners that can handle a bit of weather. Um, but they're, they're, they're called together and and they, try, they sort the, the problem out. They say, look, we're going to sort the problem out. Let's, let's, get rid of, let's find out whoever's done this compromise and, and let's get rid of the compromise and walk straight on. Let's, let's be grace-filled about, about life. Let's, let's go again. But what I find strange about Ezra is they, there's not a seeking of the Lord to hear his voice about what to do in the situation. There's a repentance because the, the word's there, but there's not actually... What I'm missing from chapter 10 is God's perspective. I'm, I'm missing the prophetic. If you know, we've got Haggai and Zechariah, some of the prophetic books from around this time. But in this instance, I'm missing Ezra going, let's inquire of the Lord what to do. So we get to the end of Ezra, and they say they're going to get rid of all of the, the people that had married, the compromise from, from society. But it kind of ends abruptly. We're not even sure if it actually ever happened. And it just, it reminded me that we need to have God's perspective. This is what I'm saying this morning. We need God's perspective and God's purposes. We need God's perspective and God's purposes in what we're doing and what we're about and what we're, what we're expecting God to release amongst us. Great. I'm going to leave it there. Should we stand if you're able to? And we're going to pray. I'm going to ask God to. There's, there's some. Um, there's some obvious responses. I don't know how God is stirring you. Um, it might be that just that, that, that call to be distinctive, again, is, is, a, is, is a word from God for you in, in this moment. You, you're aware that you've become distractive, distracted in, in, in your call to be a distinctive people, to be a people set apart for God. Maybe that's in the way that you're running your business, maybe that's in the way that you're doing your studies, maybe that's in the way that you're handling family relationships. You might want to say, God, help me to be distinctive again. I want to be, I need your grace for that. There's a phrase in the Ezra passage that says, your guilt, their guilt mounted up to the heavens. 
It may be that you came in this morning and you are just so aware of your broken behaviors. You're so aware of the grace of God and yet you're so mindful of the patterns of behavior that you're in. Or you feel like your guilt is mounted up to the heavens. Well, there's an opportunity, there's a hand outstretched, a remnant moment from God saying, there is grace, there is power to walk in newness of life this morning. The enemy would love to make that a big deal over you, suggest that you're stuck and you can't ever get out of it. God's saying, well, I brought Jesus. The Lord who is our righteousness is present today. So our right standing with God is through him. How amazing is that? There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It might be that you've, um, that just that image of a, a weight behind you, this kind of caravan wobbling. You've got some history that feels like it's, it's affecting your steering, affecting your forward momentum, and you just want to bring that to God. There's going to be space for us to, to, to do some praying together shortly. But I get, I get a sense that God wants to Just bless us as a people who are united in grace. So I'd love you just to be aware of what God is saying in this moment about you, about the person next to you. Why don't you just begin to tune in to the presence of God. Holy Spirit, come and do your work in, in our body. Set us straight, God. The path ahead.